0: This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Monday, December 7th, 2020. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this podcast featuring observations, insight, and sometimes a bit of absurdity. About 52 minutes of content coming your way Monday through Friday, wherever fine podcasts are served. As I said, it is the Monday edition. It is also the seventh day of December. And on this day, 79 years ago, something monumental happened in our nation's history. We'll touch on that in just a moment. First up, hope you're well. Hope everybody in your family, your loved ones, you're all doing fine and dandy. And that um, today is looking good for you. If not, let's see if we can do something about it. It's a... um, a beautiful day in our neighborhood it looks like it looks like stuff's going to be good weather's looking nice i'm going to be out and about for a bit later this afternoon i have been given a (laughs) i have been given a directive from my wife while i'm out and about to go shopping for a specific item yeah we'll see how that goes it's 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 one of those things that she's deferred to me because i i know about what i'm shopping for i'm not i'm not going to talk about it here it's because I just, I the, the, the gift recipient <clears throat> may well be listening, so I uh, I'm not going to be talking about it anyway. It happens to be my little corner of the world, so uh, that is a uh, that's it's been left to me to to go on a search. And I got to be honest with you, um, searching locally for the item I'm looking for is not not my comfort zone. I, I would much prefer to go online as i did earlier this morning do some research and um and come to a decision about what i want to get and the problem with that is that things in this in in the field of uh <clears throat> excuse me in the field of electronics we'll just put it that way in the field of electronics everything is changing so quickly that um it makes it difficult to make a choice because you i'm not i i'm not going to cheap out on something that is the tool that this is Because I want to make sure it's the right thing. And uh, with everything in that particular area changing as fast as it is, I want to make sure it's not obsolete a month from now. You see what I mean? Anyway, we'll see how that goes later today. And if there's any way I can share it to you without being any more cryptic, I will. Okay? Okay. (sighs) Man, it's going to be a chilly day here, high in the 40s. Um, for here that's chilly that's quite quite chilly for us here in the sunny south lands we uh, we tend to like our temperatures a bit warmer but as i've said before it has been colder in my memory it's been colder during my lifetime so i'll take what i got i got a big pile of firewood <laughs> i have power i have i have a generator in case i have to have uh, assistance for the power if it goes out i'm you know i'm pretty much set but The, uh, (laughs) it's kind of chilly and me going out today, (sighs) I'm not looking forward to that. Anyway, as I mentioned before today is, uh, is Pearl Harbor remembrance day on this day, December 7th in 1941 on the morning of December 7th, 1941, Imperial Japanese forces ambushed the Naval station, Pearl Harbor on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. And I want to relay with you, to you today the White House's proclamation for the National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day of 2020. On the morning of December 7, 1941, Imperial Japanese forces ambushed the naval station Pearl Harbor on the Hawaiian island of Oahu. Tragically, 2,403 Americans perished during the attack, including 68 civilians. On this National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, we solemnly honor and uphold the memory of the patriots who lost their lives that day, a date which will live in infamy, and we reflect on the courage of all those who served our nation with honor in the Second World War. Seventy-nine years ago, Imperial Japan launched an unprovoked and devastating attack on our nation. As torpedo bombers unleashed their deadly cargo on our ships and attack aircraft rained bombs from above, brave members of the United States Navy, Marines Army, and Army Air Forces mounted a heroic defense, manning their battle stations and returning fire through the smoke and chaos. The profound bravery in the American resistance surprised Japanese air crews and inspired selfless sacrifice among our service members. In one instance, machinist mate First Class Robert R. Scott, among 15 sailors awarded the Medal of Honor for acts of valor on that day, refused to leave his flooding battle station within the depths of the USS California, declaring to the world, this is my station and I will stay and give them air as long as the guns are going. Forever enshrined in our history, the attack on Pearl Harbor shocked all Americans and galvanized our nation to fight and defeat the Axis powers of Japan, Germany, and Italy. As Americans, we promise never to forget our fallen compatriots who fought so valiantly during World War II. As a testament to their memory, More than a million people visit the site of the USS Arizona Memorial each year to pay their respects to the sailors entombed within its wreckage and to all who who perished that day. Despite facing tremendous adversity, the Pacific Fleet, whose home port remains at Pearl Harbor to this day, is stronger than ever before, upholding the legacy of all those who gave their lives nearly 80 years ago today. On this National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, we recall the phrase, Remember Pearl Harbor, which stirred the fighting spirit within the hearts of more more than 16 million Americans who courageously served in World War II. Over 400,000 gave their lives in the global conflict that began, for our nation, on that fateful Sunday morning. Today, we memorialize all lost, all those lost on December 7th, 1941, declare once again that our nation will never forget these valiant heroes, and resolve as firmly as ever that their memory and spirit will survive for as long as our nation endures. And there's a, a bit more that's a statement from the president himself. And it's in the show notes today, if you'd like to read it it's an, in its entirety. 79 years ago, excuse me, 79 years ago, Japanese forces attacked us, pulling us into a war we did not want to be part of. 79 years ago, America stood up and showed what it was like to take a poke at the sleepy giant and since then the world has noticed had known that we are Ameri- that we are the world's mightiest nation and that they can't take a poke at us without suffering severe consequences Sadly, there are those among us who feel the need to flex that military muscle unnecessarily from time to time. And no, I'm not saying that I'm anti-military. I'm not saying I'm anti-America. I'm just saying wisdom has not always prevailed when it comes to our military involvement in certain places. And wisdom has still does not prevail when it comes to shaking the dust off our boots and walking away when we should. And on this day, as we remember those who gave in the ultimate way, those nearly, oh, those over 400,000 who gave their lives in that global conflict, those 400,000 plus From the United States of America, whisper a prayer for the loved ones, the friends and family of those who never came back. And remember that on this day, seventy-nine years ago, a nation attacked us and then learned the consequences of a attacking a nation built on liberty. A nation built on freedom. A nation built on the concept of the people governing themselves. Because those people banded together, stood up, tightened their boots, and marched off to deal with the country that poked us in the eye. And in the process, we lost a lot of people. But we taught the world a lesson. And that lesson was, we'd rather not fight with you. But if we have to, we will fight to win. And you will regret poking us in the eye. Let's remember those people today. Who showed that nation and the rest who joined with it exactly what it, mean, what it means to come up against us. And while you're at it, pray that this nation can be that great once again. Because those who play at the game of politics are constantly working on destroying what made us the giant that stood up and brushed itself off and dealt with the with those who attacked us they are intent on proper, on they're intent on pushing the lie that all of us can live happily together when we know when we're honest that there will always be those who feel it necessary to go around poking other nations in the eye. And there will always be those who believe that they are going to rule over everyone, whether their reason be religious or political. We recognize those people are there, but we're not going to let them rule over us. Because we come from a place where we, all of us, were once ruled by other people. Because that's the history of this nation. And we will not be ruled over again. In spite of the fact that those who wish to rule over us are lying and telling us that what they're trying to do is to set us free. We've seen their kind of freedom before and we know what it is and what it does and we will have nothing of it. We didn't fight a war to secure our freedom to be ruled again. We didn't fight in World War I to be ruled again and we didn't put down those who poked at us in World War II just to relax and be ruled again. Sadly there are many among us who don't know the history of this nation what we have stood for and why we were established and they have believed the lie and this day this Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day is a good day to remind them and to teach them why this, the United States of America, is the greatest nation on the planet earth. It is the greatest and it will always be the greatest as long as we govern ourselves. We're facing an onslaught right now that must be put down Just like that day in 1941, only this time, the enemy is within our borders. It's the Daily Perspective podcast for Monday, December 7th, 2020. Good to have you along today. So much happening. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, I'm easily distracted. I saw something shiny. <laughs> wow. You know, there's a big thing going on right now. There's there. They they're all these. The teachers unions are fighting to keep the schools closed. Teachers themselves kind of want to get out and get back to work. Parents want their kids back in school. All the studies are saying that it's better for the mental health of the kids to be out in school. The health studies are all saying the kids the kids are probably the safest members of our society as far as COVID is concerned. They don't, They, by and large, the vast overwhelming majority of them aren't going to catch it. And they don't carry it. They don't spread it. And so, opening the schools really... If you're going to a pension, a pay attention to the science, <laughs> you know, they keep talking about, well, I believe the science. If you're going to believe the science, well, then it, it makes perfect sense to send the kids back to school, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> not according to the teachers unions. And I'm scanning through Twitter, and I, I tend to scan you know, ooh, look, shiny stuff. I tend to scan through social media during the breaks. And, and, uh, Jesse Kelly has shared a, um, <laughs> there's a video of a teacher who's screaming at a bunch of people who are protesting school closure. They're on the sidewalks. They have their signs and everything and, and uh, they're talking about how the, uh, the, uh, lockdowns are not the cure. And we've, we've seen, actually, we've seen science, real science, not the pseudo bizarre weirdo science. We've seen real science that says lockdowns are not the cure. And this, this person, this is a teacher. She pulls up, pulls down her mask, rolls down her window, flips all these people, the birds screams obscenities at them. This is somebody teaching their children. This is someone who is teaching their children i have teachers in my family they're not insane they understand what's going on these are people with good heads on their shoulders they've got brains they can see what's happening and they're stuck their education associations in their various states they they're teaching them they're telling them what they have to do and what they can't do and in their in their estimation the lockdown is the way to go and If you haven't caught on to it by now, the lockdown is completely political. Completely political. There's really, there's no support for a lockdown that actually says it works. In fact, we have a lot of, we have a lot that says it doesn't work. A lockdown is worse for everyone. Not only just the economy, but the health and well-being, mental health and otherwise of the people being locked down. It's not good. It's, it's the worst thing we can do. But the experts all tell us, and when I say experts, I mean the politicians who who, who are dec- making the declarations and telling us what we must believe. Those people all tell us that, oh, we're all going to die if we don't lock down. Well, I got news for you. Little, little old me, yours truly, I have exactly the same medical decree Bill Gates does. So <laughs> when I tell you, Everything I'm reading tells me these people are, are using the COVID crisis as a tool for political advancement. It's true. That's exactly what this is all about. That's all it is. That's all it's ever been. Have people died? Yes. Yeah, people have died. Yeah, I know, I know. People have died. But the bottom line is that people have died of various things every year. There have been waves of, of sickness go through our population every year. There have been panics. There have been, there have been other examples of things like this in the past that have done more damage. But never, never in our history has there been this effort to shut everything down. And the reason it's happening right now is purely political, completely political. And totally political. Oh, but Mark, the doctors are saying, yeah, I got you. I'm with you. I've seen them. I know what they're saying. The politics is running everything. The leftists who fund the universities are funding the studies. They're funding the the reports. They're funding what's happening and being reported to the news. They're sending you misinformation every day and having you believe that wearing a mask is good for the other people. Yada, yada, yada. The lockdowns are a bad idea. A very, very bad idea. And I'm not the only person saying so. And not everybody in Hollywood is on board either. For example, Kirstie Alley. Who has been very vocal recently is saying that perhaps politicians pushing lockdown policies should forego their salaries while their constituents are suffering from the consequences of their decisions. She's vocal. She made the suggest- suggestion from her official social media account, got thousands of positive interactions. She tweeted, My solution? All senators, congressmen, governors, and city political officials from any state or city who impose shutdowns to the extent that businesses and people have no form of income take no salaries for the duration of the shutdown. Leadership leads by example and from the top. Her posts received more than 12,500 retweets, more than 116,700 likes from social media users, The outrage aimed at pro-pandemic politicians has peaked after several incidents of appalling hypocrisy from politicians ignoring social distancing guidelines while haranguing their constituents to follow the rules. In one of the most egregious examples, Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, was caught at a lavish dinner at an exclusive restaurant called French Laundry. Photographs showed that he issued wearing a mask and his dinner companions neglected to distance themselves. Newsom later apologized for setting a bad example. He had to. He got caught. A few days later, at the same ritzy restaurant, San Francisco mayor, London Breed, also a Democrat, was caught celebrating the birthday of a local wealthy socialite. She confirmed it was her at the restaurant. Kirstie Alley's been a vocal supporter of President Donald Trump. And has not shied away from using her social media account to express her political beliefs. On Tuesday of last week, she signaled that she supported the effort to question the results of the 2020 election. She tweeted, I'm still holding the line, by the way, real Donald Trump. I'm here till they drag me away. I said, good for her. Good for her. She needs to state exactly what she believes. In this country, she's free to do so, in spite of the fact that some may disagree with it and try to marginalize her and punish her for saying what she believes. She's going to say what she believes, and she should. Now, when I talk about this all being political, I have to also mention this. That when a politician, oh, let's say, oh, I don't know, Sleepy Joe Biden. When Joe Biden decides he wants to step up and have something to say about this, it's all political. And here's an example. Months after Joe Biden and his vice presidential pick, Senator Kamala Harris, endorsed a three-month federal mask mandate that would require Americans, even outdoors, to strap on a face mask or risk prosecution... The former VP claimed in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper that Americans wearing masks for 100 days would create a significant reduction in COVID-19 cases. Quote, I think my inclination is on the first day I'm inaugurated to say I'm going to ask the public for 100 days to mask. This is 100 days to mask, not forever, 100 days. And I think we'll see a significant reduction if we incur that and when that occurs with vaccinations and masking to drive down the numbers considerably. Of course, Dr. Anthony Fauci the health official who has flip-flopped on his opinion on masks. He says his, the Biden's proposal is a good idea. Just like he thought it was a good idea to keep the schools closed until he realized it it wasn't a good idea all all along. But here's the thing. It's just a hundred days. Well, it was just two weeks to flatten the curve too. We're over 260 days into that. And think about it this way. What's going to happen during that 100 days? Should he get into office and get his way? The weather will warm up. The seasonal infection rates, which happen every year, will drop as they do every year. And the vaccine will be kicking in and taking effect. And at the end of 100 days, he can take off his mask and say... Look what we've accomplished. When they've actually accomplished absolutely nothing whatsoever. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. It's Monday. It's Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, December 7th. Remembering the attack on Pearl Harbor 79 years ago. And putting that in perspective with the attack on America that's happening today. Coming from, well there's no other way to put it, but coming from communists within our own borders. It is an interesting day to be alive in America. So we're looking at a rigged election, an election which clearly, to sane people, has been, has been set up, has been managed, has been manipulated, and when you look at everything, when you step back and look at it from a distance, a slight distance, you can see the picture come together, and you can see, wow, they've been working on this for quite some time. And they're still working on it. In fact, let's just look at Georgia, for example. Right now in Georgia, they're, uh, they're about to dive into a, a recount or another election, a runoff. That's the word, a runoff election coming up in January. There is absolutely no reason to believe that this runoff election will not also be rigged which is why it is so important for for good conservative people to go out and vote for the Republican candidates who are in this runoff election. These two Senate seats up for grabs are extremely important because without those two Senate seats, the Democrats can get control of the Senate. They'll have control of the House. And if Joe Biden is in office, what's going to happen if they have everything? Well, what's going to happen is, They'll stack the Supreme Court. They'll uh, issue mandates and edicts uh, by executive order or executive action, which will make it impossible for conservative people to win elections in the future. They'll they'll make Washington, D.C. a state. They'll make Puerto Rico a state, bringing in even more Democrat representatives and senators. They will stack the deck in their favor in a way that will be extremely difficult to overcome in the future. You have to remember, the turnout for this election was monumental. It was historic, which is the reason for all of the irregularities we're seeing. They couldn't overcome the amount of enthusiasm and the voter turnout for Donald Trump, and they got sloppy when it came to the middle of the night when they were adding votes in for joe biden and right now we're watching the aftermath and if you don't if you just watch the if you just watch the the mainstream news you don't know what's been happening you don't know you don't understand what's happening in pennsylvania let me encourage you Go to my social media, to, to, the, to the podcast social media accounts today. It doesn't matter. Facebook, Twitter, um, MeWe, uh, Parler. It doesn't matter where you go. I posted it this morning. It's a link to Mark Levin's Life, Liberty, and Levin show from last night. It's 45 minutes. I've watched uh, two-thirds of it. I had time to watch about two-thirds of it this morning. And it's important. His monologue at the beginning is is important he lays out exactly what's been happening he tells you about the state of pennsylvania and how in pennsylvania we'll get back to georgia in a minute but in pennsylvania they completely ignored the pennsylvania constitution and passed laws illegally changing the way the vote was made they have changed the way the vote in pennsylvania is done And everything they did was against Pennsylvania law. Everything. Everything they did. And that's why that is going to the Supreme Court. Actually, tomorrow. That's why. That's all going before the Supreme Court. Because in Pennsylvania, they broke the law in order to help Joe Biden win. And the Democrats, when they can't win on their own, when their policies, their programs, their appeal, their voter enthusiasm can't get them across the goal line, they change the rules of the game. And that's exactly what they're doing in Pennsylvania, and they're trying to do in Georgia. Let's go back over to Georgia, and this story from Newsmax that it says uh, it's called Trump, they're going to rig, try to rig this election too. President Donald Trump delivered a stirring rebuke of the rigged election as he campaigned for Republican senators left to fight for Senate control in the January 5th runoff elections, which he warned Democrats are going to try to steal, too. Quote, you must go vote and vote early starting December 14th. You have to do it. They cheated and they rigged this presidential election, but we will still win it. He told a large Valdosta, Georgia rally this Saturday night that aired live, by the way, on Newsmax TV. We watched it at our house. It was it was great. He did a great job. He says we will still win it, and they're going to try to rig this election too. Incumbent senators David Perdue and Kelly Lo- uh, Leffler of Georgia, both Republicans, faced challenges from Democrats John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock in runoff elections that might determine the balance of power in the Senate. Leffler faced off with uh, Warnock in a debate last night and i don't know if you saw it but she cleaned the cleaned the floor with it. he is he's he's a nut he is a leftist democrat socialist communist nut job he's a marxist to the core and he cannot be allowed to serve in office he is he really is mentally unstable the other guy david purdue should have shown up to his He didn't show up to his debate. He let John Ossoff, the Democrat, have the floor all to himself. In my book, that's stupid with a capital S. Now, Republicans already hold 50 Senate seats, but if Democrats sweep the two Georgia runoffs and Joe Biden wins the White House, the vice president casts the deciding vote in a 50-50 tie. That means that Kamala Harris will be deciding those 50-50 votes. Trump told a raucous crowd of Republican supporters, At least you have two beauties. And you know what you have also, you you also have two beauties running against them, but beauty in a different way. They're two beauties, but there's never been a case where a state has this prominence on the Senate races because they're never together. This is something that's very important, and you have to get out. You have to vote. You have to make sure you have every vote counted. Every vote has to count. Everybody vote it has to count you got to make sure they don't throw away the ballots you've got to be sure you got to make sure they went that when they collect the ballots they're bragging about how many ballots they've already collected you've got to make sure your secretary of state does (laughs) and knows what the hell he's doing and you got to make sure your governor gets a lot tougher than he's been he's got to get a lot tougher trump seemed to admit remaining in the white house is an uphill battle suggesting that Vice President Mike Pence would not be the one casting the deciding vote in the next Senate if Democrats win a 50-50 Senate split with a January 5th sweep. He said at stake in this election is control of the U.S. Senate, and that really means control of this country. The voters of Georgia will determine which party runs every committee, writes every piece of legislation, controls every single taxpayer dollar. You simply, Very simply, you will decide whether your children will grow up in a socialist country or whether they will grow up in a free country. He added later, if the other side manages to steal both elections, we will have total one party socialist control and everything you care about will be gone. Your whole philosophy is going to be gone. The crowd broke out in a stop the steal chant before Trump added. But we're working hard to ensure that it doesn't happen. And now we're trying to steal the they're trying to steal these two important Senate seats from Georgia. And he's right. And that's not the only thing happening in Georgia. His election is still up for grabs as far as Georgia is concerned. Over at the Epoch Times, there's a story called Trump says he will win Georgia if simple signature verification is conducted. He said on Saturday that he'll win Georgia if they'll if uh, signature verification is ordered there. Quote, I'll easily and quickly win Georgia if Governor Brian Kemp or the Secretary of State permits a simple signature verification. Has not been done and will not and will show a large scale will show large scale discrepancies. Why are these two Republicans saying no? If we win Georgia, everything else falls in place. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, he's a Republican, said he spoke with the president on Saturday morning and has called for a signature audit three times. He said, "I've publicly called for a signature audit three times to restore confidence in our election process and to ensure the only legal votes are counted in Georgia." That's a term, by the way, a phrase you hear a lot to restore confidence in our election process. They're going through motions and pretending that they're doing something to restore confidence in the process. When people have lost confidence in the process for good reason, because the people aren't stupid. The people can see the process has been infected by the communism that's trying to take over this country. And yeah, I know what that sounds like. But sadly, it's true. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Reffensberger's office didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Georgia certified the election results with Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden leading Trump by around 12,000 votes, 0.25, that's a quarter of 1%. The Trump campaign has launched legal challenges over the results because widespread irregularities and fraud were reported. The final results of the general election in Georgia will likely be decided by the state legislature branch or judges. There's been video, and in this article there's a big picture from the surveillance video, the security footage that caught those uh, poll workers processing ballots after the observers and all of the other workers had left. When workers, these workers, after hours, they dismissed everyone, these people left in the room doing this work are all Democrats. They're not being supervised. They're not being observed by both parties as they're supposed to be observed at every step of the process. And the mainstream press is trying to tell you right now, Oh, these were votes that had already been observed and processed and, and approved. These had already been acknowledged. This stuff had already been taken care of. This, this had already gone through the process and they were all stored away and they're just scanning them now. Well, the scanning is also supposed to be observed. That's part of the process and it's part of the legal, the legal path that must be taken. There must be this, this secure path that every vote is on. You see if they open the votes and they verify the votes people say yeah that's good that's okay yeah that's okay oh that one's bad toss it they go through that process but they don't observe the process of tabulating the votes then they can do anything they want to adding subtracting running them multiple times and that's the issue here these people were unsupervised and in part of that video it's fairly obvious that someone is re-running stacks of, pre- of already scanned ballots. And that's why someone has to be there, observing. Don't be deceived, my friend. They're trying to steal it again. Welcome back. It's the final segment for Monday, December 7th, 2020. For the Daily Perspective Podcast. Once again, it's good to have you along. Thanks so much for subscribing. Thanks for being there. Thanks for sharing with your friends. I appreciate it a lot. Looking at my calendar, um, I have an outside... In engagement later today, and uh, it made me think I need to look at my calendar as far as how the Christmas holiday is going to spell out. And in the next few days, I'll let you know how I'm going to handle the podcast over the Christmas holidays, okay? Because I'm going to take some time off around Christmas, family, and the like. You know, we all need to do that. But I'm going to take a little bit of time, probably not more than a week. All right, just a few days off. Not going to take a long time off. It's not, but like, not, not like back when I had surgery, knee surgery, and I was taking like two months off. That's not going to happen again, I hope. Okay? All right. Um, also, in case I haven't mentioned it enough, and I know I haven't, the Christmas Perspective podcast is up and running again for this year, something that I did last year, and I've brought back around again this year. It's each day of December. It's a chapter from the book of Luke, and the book of Luke is where the Christmas story is found. So, conveniently, there are 25 chapters, or 24 chapters, 20, yes, 24 chapters. So you've got, or actually there's 25 chapters. You get, you get a chapter a day up through Christmas and it's basically the whole story. And I, I got some great feedback from it last year. So I thought, well, why not do that again? So it's up and running again. If you haven't subscribed, go to, uh, christmasperspective.com, uh, or go to, uh, daily perspective, Podcast.com, either one. And, uh, The subscription links are all right there, and you can have it downloaded. Also, the episodes which have already dropped, the first seven, including today's, they're all right there, so you can go through. You can listen to each one of them, okay? All right. Christmas perspective. Don't forget that. Share it with your friends. It's a great way way to get to the roots of the holiday spirit. All right? All right. Um, Let's see. We've got a little less than nine minutes. I think I'm going to skip that one. And we're going to go over here to something from Prager U. And um, I wanted to share this today because it paints a picture to make it easier to understand why certain things happen and why certain people say and do the things they do. One of the things that uh, I'm all about, I, I talk about it a lot, is honesty. And because of that, I'm an observer. I'm an observer of people. I'm an, I'm an observer of actions I'm a, a behavior observer I'm not a behaviorist I'm not somebody who has it does clinical studies of that kind of thing but I do watch what people do as opposed to what they say and that's the bottom line for honesty you watch what people do as opposed to what they say and over at Prageroo, Prager Prager <laughs> Prager wo Prager you Bill Vogeli, he's uh, from the Claremont Institute, recorded a piece for Prager University, and I have, I have the transcript, and I want to share that with you. What's the major difference between liberals and conservatives? For liberals, the answer is easy. Liberals are compassionate, and conservatives are mean. I am a liberal, public radio host Garrison Keeler wrote in 2004 and liberalism is the politics of kindness. President Barack Obama agrees. Kindness covers all of my political beliefs, he has said. Earlier in his political career, Senator Obama urged college students, quote, to broaden your your ambit of concern and emphasize, empathize with the plight of others, end quote. If liberalism is the politics of kindness, It follows that conservatism must be the opposite, heartless. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman contends that conservatives want to limit government spending on social welfare programs because they take, quote, positive glee in inflicting further suffering on the already miserable, end quote. Is this characterization fair? Is it accurate? Hardly. For one thing, helping others, generosity, requires resources <clears throat> to be generous with. To provide needy people tangible assistance, as opposed to inconsequential gestures, requires wealth. And wealth has to be created before it can be donated. This necessity, however, complicates the politics of kindness. Both economic theory and the historical record of different competing economic systems clearly show that the best way to create wealth is to narrow rather than broaden the ambit of our concern. Adam Smith, the founder of modern economics, wrote in 1776, quote, It is not for from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. Our natural desire to care more for our families and friends than for distant strangers, is not a moral defect, but an advantage. Free markets and voluntary associations, such as churches and civic groups, make the most of this asset. The welfare state tears it down. There is, then, a glaring contradiction in the politics of kindness on the one hand liberals frequently criticize the selfishness of people preoccupied with building careers businesses and investments on the other liberals are bursting with ideas for all the humane things government can do by redistributing the wealth created by these so-called selfish people there's another contradiction liberals champion government action as the best vehicle to alleviate suffering at the same time they are uninterested in the question of whether these government programs actually do alleviate suffering. To take just one example, the government's own studies have demonstrated that the federal preschool program Head Start does not achieve its goals. Children enrolled in it are no better off by the end of the first grade than those children who don't enroll. But this program has lost none of its liberal luster. On the contrary, liberals constantly call for its expansion our federal state and local governments spend more than three point two trillion dollars per year on programs designed to prevent or relieve poverty that's more than ten thousand dollars per American yet the official poverty rate has fluctuated in the same narrow range from 11 to 15 percent of the population for the past 40 years how can the politics of kindness be so cavalier about whether government efforts to alleviate suffering succeed? The problem is not a deficiency of compassion, but the defective moral logic of compassion itself. The word compassion means, literally, suffering together with another. And there's the problem. The whole point of compassion is for empathizers to feel better when the awareness of another suffering distresses the observer but this is but this ultimate purpose does not guarantee that those who are the object of empathy will fare better so on top of all its other problems our 3 trillion dollar welfare state doesn't work because its liberal architects and defenders don't really care whether it works the liberal asks Does it feel good? The conservative asks, Does it do good? If you really want to help people, it should be pretty obvious which is the more important question. And that's by Bill Vogley of the Claremont Institute for Prager University. That's a great summation of the difference between the two. When we study generosity, when we study compassion and how much people really do give to charity, we learn that those selfish Republicans, those selfish conservatives, are the ones who actually do give the most. They're the ones who actually give large sums of money to the needy and to organizations designed to put feet on the ground and actually help those in need. And liberals believe it's the job of the government. And so they believe that's what their tax dollars should do. And so, they don't give. They don't help. They talk about it a lot. They may go, actually put their feet on the ground from time to time and serve at a soup kitchen or maybe get involved in some sort of a community program. But as the article says, it takes wealth. It takes stacks of dollars to accomplish the goals that that we set to help people to really make a difference. And government never sees things that way. As I've said here many times, when you see politicians offering up new programs to solve problems, they're usually solving problems which were created by previous programs, which were also designed to solve problems, which were created by an even more previous program. they aren't really concerned with doing good. They're concerned with feeling better because they've made the show of doing good, when they haven't actually changed anything. And that's the problem with leftist politics. It's all show and no substance. And those are the people who want to run this country today. And it's time for me to get out of your way and get on with my day. God bless you, have a good one. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. <laughs> bye bye. Oh, we're uh we're done.